Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Everything about what's next for us as a church rises and falls on the Mighty power of God, and He is here. We pray that the kingdom of God would run rapidly in Las Vegas, that the darkness in our city would be pushed back. God, we pray for the West. Lord, today we ask you for the peoples of the earth that on every continent around the world, you would invite us to join in the multiplication of your church. We ask you today for the generations to come. We ask all of this to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. Amen. When we began this journey six weeks ago together, I shared with you that 2015 was a significant year in the life of my family. God had, through his word, through counsel, and through circumstances, confirmed in my heart and my wife's heart that God had given us a life call to this city. And I guess another way to say that is that that in 2015, what we really understood was that God had not called us to Las Vegas for a season of our lives, but that he'd called us here to invest our lives for the sake of his kingdom. And so many of you have joined in that with us. As a matter of fact, our entire lead team of pastors, the, the four pastors on our lead team, all sense this same life call to this work and to this city and to what God is doing here to expand his kingdom. And so when the Lord solidified that life call for us, we began to wrestle with the question, Lord, what's next for us at Hope Church? God, what's on the horizon? Because in speaking that into our hearts, I really believe what the Lord breathed into us was that the greatest days for Hope Church are not behind us. The greatest days for us as a fellowship are still in front of us. And God used a specific verse of scripture. You heard it in the video. I want to put it up here on the screen and I want you to read it out loud with me. Psalm 33 verse 11. Let's read it together. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. 
And out of that simple little verse in my devotional time, just my God time, my daily time alone with him, the Lord began to breathe some things into my heart as we were wrestling with this question, what's next for us as a church? God, through this scripture, solidified in my heart that, that he already has a plan. We don't need to come up with one, right? The plans of his heart are from generation to generation. God has a plan for how he wants to accomplish his activity in and through us at Hope. It's not up to us to create one. He has a plan. But we needed to hear from the Lord about his plan. The Bible called it the plans of his heart, which meant if we're going to know his plan, we got to pursue his heart. We got to seek the heart of God. And we also understood from this verse that, that his plan was about generations to come. It wasn't just about the next 10 to 15 years for us as a church, but it was going to outlive us. And so we really set aside 15 to 18 months. Our pastors, our stewardship team, key volunteers, our staff team here at Hope. And for 15 to 18 months, we sought the Lord asking the question, God, what's next for us as a church? And we've taken the last six weekends and we've tried to unpack that for you and we simply called it next, hope for generations to come. We believe we've heard from the Lord after seeking him, after seeking counsel about what's next. And we gave it to you in three statements. We said it was the next step, which the next step we described as responding to God's activity of growing our fellowship. I saw it again this week at our dinner with the pastors, a room full of people joining in what God's doing here in our fellowship. We've seen it by the numbers that have been coming to Christ recently. We got to respond to what God is sending us as a fellowship and take the next step of expanding our facility. But for us, this was much more about a building. It was about what God was going to do in this next step was fueling the next wave of his activity in and through us. And we called that the next chapter. And we outlined for you some specifics in Las Vegas, the West and the world. And you've heard us talk about those. If you're new this morning, there's a next step tent. You can pick one of those brochures up that will outline some of the specifics about how we're going to be engaging in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. And, and we believe those are just the tip of the iceberg. That's what the Lord's shown us today. As we walk this out over the next 10 to 15 years, we think more and more God's going to give us insight into how we're going to go deeper into impacting our city our region, and the world. And for us, that was right out of Scripture. When Jesus gave his church the mission in Acts 1-8, he told them to go to Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then the remotest part of the earth. And so our biblical framework is Las Vegas, the West, and the world. It's our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But then we also talked about the next generation, that what God was doing in and through our church right now was not just about us today, but it was bigger than our lifetime. It wasn't just bigger than our church and our city and our nation, but it was literally bigger than our lifetime. We are blazing the trails today that Jesus' followers who've not yet even been born, who will come through this fellowship, will run in those trails engaging in what God's doing. And we set an initial goal. A financial goal for this next step. 
We set a goal of nine and a half million dollars. You say, where did we arrive at nine and a half million dollars? Well, we've been given an estimate that the total project is going to cost us somewhere between nine and 11 million dollars. And we know as a church, we have about 1.3 million dollars ready to invest into this project. So, $11 million, the top end of the budget, minus that $1.3, put us at about a $9.5 million place. Now, we don't know the firm budget yet. The budget could go up. The budget could come down. But somewhere in that window is where we believe it's going to be. So we said $9.5 million, and we did so even though those that had been walking with us from a consultant standpoint said, hey, a real best bet would be, we think for a church like this, seven, seven and a half million dollars, that's where you need to set this. That would be an extraordinary goal for you. But we thought, hey, let's just trust the Lord, tell the people, here's the whole need and let's see what God does. Because we're not about, it doesn't matter about goals. We want to see what God's doing in the life of our fellowship. So we set that goal. And if you came to one of the vision dinners, I told you that there were three potential ways that we could move forward past this week. We talked about if on Pledge Sunday, we could have potentially a $9.5 million cash offering that would just be a miracle. Amen? That's one way we could move forward. Uh, and we didn't have that happen, but we still could. If you want to write that check today, we will gladly move forward with that agenda. Right? That was one way that God could provide. Another way we said God could provide is with $9.5 million in pledges. And then we were able to just move forward without any outside help. A third way we said we could move forward is if we came in less than $9.5 million because of the strength of your generosity and how you give faithfully. Uh, our, our current lender is already on board to work with us in providing some financing to move forward if our pledges came in less than $9.5 million. So... The question of the day is, what did God provide and how are we moving forward? Amen? And I know there's a lot of expectation in a lot of your hearts because I've heard from so many of you. And you, you I hope you realize that Pastor Travis and I, we're really the only people over the last two weeks who've known exactly where we are. Uh, there have been multiple people that have been counting multiple parts of it, but to see the whole pie together, it's just been Travis and I, and I got to be honest with you, this has been a really long, long two weeks for Pastor Travis and I. Um, but I want to show you the numbers, and then I want you to, to let me unpack some of where we are inside of the numbers, because we really had two goals. The first was a goal that we set for just an overall total goal, pledge and cash offering combined. And where we sit as of this morning right now, and I can already tell you, it's already changed some because Travis just told me a few minutes ago that some other pledges have already come in this morning. So we're going to be updating it throughout the day. So if you want to come to all three services, you have to do that to get all the exact numbers. But where we stand right now with total pledge and cash offering is right here. $7,512,676.75. So, uh, amen. I got to be honest. Uh, when we set that $9.5 million goal, we were like, man, that seems it. But if you'd have told us two years ago, we could be at a place today where we could put 80 to 90% of this project down in cash. We'd have signed that deal two years ago. Um, 
But, but that's not even, to me, the best part of, of what God did. Because we also ask you to make an initial cash offering. Um, this didn't really surprise me because I, I knew you as a people. Uh, this next one shocked me. We had an initial cash offering of $1,515,895.04. I, I, I promise I didn't see that one coming. Um, I, I, it blew me away. Um, the only other time we've ever seen an offering even close to that, we, when we first did this building, we had a one-day offering of like $1.2 million, but when we did that, one person that God had raised up in our church gave a million dollars. That didn't happen in this. This is just across the board, people in our fellowship just sacrificing and giving. But, but let, me, let me take you inside these numbers for just a minute. Um, There are more people participating in an above and beyond sacrificial offering than ever before in the history of our church. As a matter of fact, when we did this back in 2009 to build this initial phase, we had 70% more people participate this time than participated in this in 2009. It was an unbelievable response. Secondly, you saw the number. It's the largest single cash offering in our church's history. We've never seen anything even close to that. Third, in these numbers, you see the greatest level of personal sacrifice we've ever witnessed before. Because, get this, we didn't just have 70% more people participate. The the average gift per unit this time was 25% higher, which means people dug deep. Those of you that got involved in this, you owned it. You sacrificed. Number three, we saw some, we've already begun to hear some miracle stories. We see those numbers, but there's some, for example, I had one family tell me this week that when they made their pledge, they had no idea how they were going to be able to fulfill it. And the week or two after they made their pledge, they had an unexpected insurance check that came in for the exact dollar amount of what they pledged. Had another family, another family that's relocating. They're moving out of Las Vegas to another part of the country. They've been in our church for years, but even though they're leaving, they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And so they put their house on the market and they said, we're going to sell it for this. And God, everything above this is yours for this project. They set a number in faith, not even believing the house would appraise for that. They not only sold it, it appraised for the exact, not $100 more, $100 less, but the exact amount of money that they pledged. We had a young girl in our church that told me this story. She made a pledge based on her babysitting that she does. And she made a pledge on Sunday. By by Tuesday of the week after her pledge, she'd already had two calls for babysitting jobs from families that had never called her before. And she was like, look at this. God's already begun to provide. So within the, I don't want us to miss the fact that within these stories, there are hundreds of miracle stories that are already happening and are going to continue to happen. Here's the other thing I want you to see about these numbers. The picture is still incomplete. 
Here's what I've learned. You listen when we say something. And here's what I mean by that. We told you to take your time to pray, to hear from the Lord. And you did that. A million dollars of this pledge has come in in the last 36 hours. So when I tell you, Pastor Travis and I have been sweating for two weeks, at the end of Pledge Sunday, we were just over $5 million in pledges. So two and a half million of this comes in over the last two weeks as we've just been watching daily as the emails have been coming in. And, and the point I'm making is this. There are still, I've talked to some of you, there are still people in our church that are still in the process of seeking the Lord. You hadn't heard yet clearly. And listen, we want to encourage you. Continue to just seek the Lord. That's all we ask you to do. To pray, to hear from the Lord, and then do as the Lord leads. So as other people respond, which has already happened this morning, that's not even reflected in the numbers that I just showed you, that's going to continue to go up. So it's an incomplete picture. Some of the people that are praying through this are already here. Others are not here yet. This is a three-year project, this, this next step. We're going to reach a lot of people over these three years. Who knows? Maybe we reach that person in the next three years that makes up the difference between where we are right now and where we need to be, and we still get to do this without having to add any financing at all. So as much as we rejoice in all that God has already provided, it's an incomplete picture as we move forward, and God is still writing the story. So... That's where we are. Amen? Amen. Now, what I want to do in the, in the remainder of time that I have left is I want to try to pastor us through this part of the process as we've heard from the Lord today and as we've, we've received from the Lord. I want to give us some principles, some reminders as we move forward on this journey, okay? I want to give you four, and these have application for us as a church, but they also have great application for us as individuals and as families. So here's the first one. God is faithful even when it doesn't feel like it. God's faithful even when it doesn't feel like it. You say, why would you say that? Here's why I'm saying that. Because I know for some of you, The only way you were going to feel successful today was if we blew nine and a half million dollars out of the water. And I know that because I've heard, listen, I wish you could have walked with me for the last month and a half. I have had so many word from the Lord's from people in our church and around the country. I've heard everything from nine and a half million to 11 and a half million to 13 and a half million. I've heard it all. And, but here's the thing. It's an incomplete picture. They may all be right by the time it's over. But, but for some of you, you think, man, if we didn't hit nine and a half million, then we didn't, then God wasn't faithful. But here's the reality. God sometimes works in a way where it's an immediate, identifiable, supernatural experience. Sometimes God parts the Red Sea. Remember that story? Book of Exodus, children of Israel, led out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of 400 years, they get to the Red Sea, 
And God miraculously, the Red Sea's in front of them, the Egyptian army's behind them. And what happens? The waters part so much that the ground is dry. They walk, I mean, if you're walking across a sea on dry ground, you know you're in the middle of an immediate supernatural experience. Amen? And when they get to the other side, the army chases them and the walls of the sea collapse and obliterates the largest army on the face of the earth. And you know what they did on the other side of the the Red Sea? Miriam wrote a song and the Bible tells us in in Exodus chapter 14, look at what it says. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord. I guess so. Amen. And they believed in the Lord. I guess so. Amen. And his servant. They saw it. And then Miriam writes this song and they start rejoicing and they start singing. Why? Because God moved and it was obvious to everybody. In the very next chapter, God provides but he does so in a very different way. It's called manna. Plain, unleavened bread. Every day when they woke up for 40 years, the menu didn't change. Unleavened, plain bread. No butter. (laughs) Bread. Listen to what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. And the people shall go out and gather, get this, a day's portion. Here's what that means. They didn't even get to save up enough for tomorrow. It was just enough bread for today. That I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. The sons of Israel ate manna 40 years. The Bible tells us in this, on this journey, they were so dissatisfied, they begged Moses to go back to slavery. But here's what I want you to see. Sometimes God provides, and it's the Red Sea, and you get to dance and you get to celebrate. Sometimes God provides, and it's just enough. And here's what I don't want you to miss both are the faithful provision of God. Listen, when I think back over 16 years of hope experience, my wife said, I really can't think of many Red Sea moments. Let me tell you what, there's been a whole lot of, a whole lot of manna in the desert. (laughs) And here's what I mean by that. Just enough. Enough to keep us Dependent on him. Pastor Travis, in our dinner with the pastors, we go through our values. And one of the things that he says in that environment every time, he says, you know, as a church, we recognize we are just as desperate for God today 
as we were 16 years ago when there were 18 people sitting in Vance's living room. And let me tell you what, the way God's provided, we got something to celebrate. It's miraculous, but at the same time, it's just enough. It's just enough. And here's a verse from my, my God time this week out of Proverbs chapter 30. Look what it says. Two things I've asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. And here's the second one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. The wisdom of Proverbs says, God, just give us enough so that we know who it came from and we know who we have to continue to look to. As I think back over our 16 years together, God's faithfulness at hope has never been extravagant, but it's always been enough. And as we sit here today with the way God provided in that initial cash offering and the pledge that we have to where we are right now, we have everything in place to take the next step. And he could still continue to provide so that there's not any need of additional financing over the next two to three years. And we rejoice in where God has us. But it doesn't all. Listen, over the last two weeks, there have been moments where it hadn't felt like God's faithfulness. But as we've just watched him provide, I'll be honest. If it had been seven and a half million last Sunday, I wouldn't have prayed near as hard the last two weeks. I wish I could tell you I would have. But when it was five after pledge Sunday, I became a prayer warrior again, right? And I'm just, listen, we all live there, right? Prayer is the recognition of our need for God. And God's provided in such a way that lets us know we need him. Here's the second reminder I want us to keep in mind as we walk through this. God is always on time. Now, you can add to that, he seldom early. But he's never late. One of my favorite stories from the Gospels is a story where Jesus encounters some of his friends. Jesus had some best friends in the New Testament. Some of his best friends were a family, two sisters and a brother, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And Lazarus gets sick. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus had hosted Jesus in their home many times. They'd fed him. They'd sheltered him. They'd given him a place to sleep many times. He'd been in their home. They were best friends, almost like extended family. And Lazarus gets sick and he's dying. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. They send people to go and say, hey, you got to get here quickly. Lazarus is dying. And the Bible tells us Jesus delayed intentionally going to them. So that by the time Jesus showed up, Lazarus was already dead. He'd been dead and buried for four days. When Jesus showed up, Martha ran out to meet him. And listen to what she said. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know what she said to Jesus? You're late. He's always on time. He's seldom early, but he's never late. 
Jesus said, Martha, what are you worried about? Lazarus is going to rise again. She said, I know. I know out there in the resurrection someday in the dark future. I know someday. Jesus said, when I walked on the property, the resurrection showed up. He said, no, 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 Martha, you misunderstand. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, take me to the tomb. And they took Jesus to the tomb, and Jesus cried out in a loud. He said, first of all, roll away the stone. They said, we can't roll away the stone. God, he stinks by now. He's he's already started to deacon. He said, roll away the stone. They rolled away the stone. Jesus says, Lazarus. And I believe he specified Lazarus because if he hadn't said his name by name, every dead person and every tomb on all the earth would have come bouncing out of the grave. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus came walking out of that tomb. Listen, he's never late. He's always on time. He's on time. And that's why when you look at where we are as a church, everything we needed to happen today has happened for us to take the next step. The rest of the story of God's provision is yet to be told. It's yet to be told. And that's consistent with the history of how God's provided for us as a church. When we started, we started in my living room. 18 people that first night in my living room, but over five months, it grew from 18 people to the last night in our living room. We had 74 people packed into our home. And our home was a 23, 2400 square foot, two-story home. It wasn't a big house. And we, we literally would take all of our furniture and put it in the backyard and put rows of metal folding chairs. I'm not making this up. And that's how we did church. And the last night, my wife's gracious, but she's like, honey, we we got to do something else. We can't keep this up. Because when we moved here, we had a place located we were going to meet in. And the week we got here, that place fell through, went away. So we wound up in our living room and for five months, had no alternatives. And so that night we prayed as a group. We said, Lord, where are we going next? And I'll never forget one man, Lowell Thomas, in our group. He said, Lord, you've called these young men here. He actually said these young boys here to plant this church because he was in his 70s. He said, you've called these young boys here to plant this church. And God, you're doing it. I'm watching it happen right in front of my eyes. And he said, God, we need a place. And here's what he said. God, we're coming after you. That next week, I go on a t-ball field, and I look up, and I'm coaching my son. I look up, and there's a guy I recognize named Randall Cunningham. Randall played professional football. And... I saw Randall went up and said, hey, man, I just want you to know I appreciate your testimony in the public arena. I know you've given your life to Christ. I know you've been bold about your faith. And I just want you to know as a brother in Christ, man, I appreciate the stand that you've taken. He asked me the same two questions everybody did when they heard my accent. Where are you from? (laughs) What are you doing here? And I told him our story, planning a church. And I told him we were meeting in our house. And he said, well, hey, I got a studio downtown. If you guys want to start meeting there Sunday, you can on Sunday nights. Just come on down. And so we prayed. God gave us a place. The very next week, we moved. We moved into Randall's studio. Went there for several months and outgrew that facility. And we had nowhere to go next. We tried every school. We tried everything to get, get a door. And we couldn't get anything open. And a guy in our fellowship walks up to me and says, hey, I'm the director of the new Carpenters International Training Center down on Gillespie. He said, Uh, I think our group would be open to letting you guys meet there. And we went and toured it. And this thing had screens and chairs. I mean, it was instant church. Even had a pool we could baptize in. (laughs) I'm like, man, we could never afford this. He said, I said, how much? He said, $500 a month. Now, at that time in the life of our church, schools back then were costing about $20,000 a month. 
Because the school system back then didn't really want churches in their schools. That's changed now. But back then, it was hard to get into school. When he said $500 a month, you had to pick me up off the floor. He said, but there's two conditions. I said, what are they? He said, number one, uh, we have 5,000 trainees a year come through our facility from all over North America. When they're here on the weekend, you got to let them come to your church. I'm thinking, all right, we can do that. We're going to reach the nations. You're going to bring them to us. We're in. He said, number two, you got to pray for the, the leadership of our national organization. He said, we have 11 uh, elected officials in our, our national organization. you got to start praying for them weekly. I said, I think we can do that. Let's see. You're going to bring us people, and you're going to ask us to pray. We're in. <laughs> Listen, we start praying for the general president of the National Carpenter, International Carpenters and Joiners of America. He has a ticket stub. He's supposed to get on Flight 77 that crashed on 9-11. We'd been praying for them for two months at that time. He, he got up that morning and said something told him not to get on that airplane. He didn't get on that airplane. He's alive today with that ticket stuff. And he attributes it to the prayers of a church that was meeting in their carpenter center here in Las Vegas, Nevada. But we were in there for a year. And after a year of meeting in that facility, we outgrew that. And we moved into another part of that facility. And it just, we were too large for their environment now. And so we needed another place. Didn't know where to go. They called us on a Friday. Said, man, this got to be the last Sunday. We got three days to find a new place, and we're driving around, and we get on Warm Springs, and we come across the, the Boy Scout Center down there on Warm Springs, and I walk in, and I met the lady at the front desk, and I said, hey, we're at church. We're looking for a place to meet. She said, uh, sorry, we don't let churches meet here. We've already had three ask, and we've turned them down because we don't make long-term commitments. I said, great. We're not looking for a long-term commitment. If you can give me a week, that's all I need. I need one week. She said, well, nobody's ever asked us that before. I said, well, we're asking. She said, well, to get that approved, we'd have to run that by our executive council. They only meet once a month. I said, when do they meet? She flipped open the calendar. Look at that. They meet today. I said, let's ask them. So she asked them. They didn't give us a week. They gave us a month. We met there a year and a half. By the time we moved out, they asked us to find a church plant that they could move in there. And for the last nine years, there's been a church plant meeting there in that facility down on Warm Springs. Why am I telling you that story? Here's why I'm telling you that story. It's always just been God being on time. Never early, but never late. Just always right on time. Here's the third point. God knows what we don't know. You see, one of the challenges to doing what we've done over the last few weeks is we've presented a plan with the best information that we have after a year of counsel and planning and praying. But we don't know the future. But we know the one who not only knows the future, he controls the future. Let me show you what the writer of Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 29, 11 in the message paraphrase. Look what he said. I know, God says, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's a good place to say amen. <laughs> I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Here's what this means. We don't know how God's going to provide for us over the next days, weeks, and months to come. We don't know. But here's what we know. He knows what we don't know. For example, we, we set out a $9 to $11 million budget. This week, 
This week, by the grace of God, it looks like we've already saved $300,000 in design fees. So one of the ways God could provide is provide $300,000 in an offering. Another way God could provide is knock $300,000 off the total debt or off the total project costs, right? So there's multiple ways that God could meet this need. We just have to trust that he knows what we don't know. Here's the last thing. God's way is always for our good and his glory. The way he provides is always best for us and always for his glory. I'll give it to you. You've heard this verse many times from this pulpit, right? Romans 8, 28. And we, what's the next word? That word know is a word that means to know by experience. Paul's writing. He's, let me say something I know. I don't know because I read about it. I know because I've lived it. We know. We got 16 years in this together. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And here's what that means. God not only does what he does, but he also does it the way he does it for our good and his glory. So those are four things for us to remember as we move forward from here. Now, I want to close this by talking to you personally for just a minute. We've been trying to navigate this as a church, but I want to talk to you as individuals. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever sought God's provision and the way things turned out didn't necessarily meet your expectation? You ever been asking God for the Red Sea? And looked down and all you had in your hands was manna. Don't look at me spiritual. You've been there, right? You've asked God for big things before. And you looked down and what you had was enough. Just for today. Maybe you've asked God for some miracle in your marriage. And you hadn't seen that miracle yet. But you just made it through the weekend. He sustains you through this weekend. Maybe you got something in your health. And you're asking God for that miracle healing. And you hadn't gotten that report from the doctor yet. But you did wake up this morning. Manna. Maybe you got a child that's far from God. And you've been asking God to part that Red Sea. And the water isn't even stirring. But they're still alive. There's still hope for the grace of God to take Saul and turn him into Paul. Maybe it's at your job. You've been asking God for something more. And you hadn't seen the miraculous provision. But you paid the bills.
this month? Manna. What do you do when you're asking God to part the Red Sea? And you look in your hands and you got manna. Here's what you do. You remember. You remember that God is faithful. Even when it may not look like he's faithful. You remember that God is always on time. Unfortunately, he's seldom early. But he's never late. You remember, he knows what you don't know. And you remember that what he's doing, he's doing it the way he's doing it for your good and his glory. And you say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. As you sit before the Lord this morning, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. It's a time for us to respond to what we've heard God say today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in one of those seasons where you're asking for the Red Sea to be parted and you look in your hands and all you got is manna. He's faithful. Thank Him for the manna. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of worship. And as we do that, we have some of our pastors here at the front. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never come to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches us that the faithfulness of God has been demonstrated and that God loved you and me even when we were sinners. He loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to come into this world and die on a cross for our sins. And he rose again from the dead so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin and be restored into right relationship with himself. If you don't know Jesus today, if you want to know this God who is faithful, when we stand in a moment begin to sing, you come to one of these pastors or myself here at the front and say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God. For others of you today, maybe you're in one of those seasons where you're asking for the Red Sea and you're looking at manna and you just need a pastor to pray with you. You just need to come and get in one of these altars and just lay it before the Lord and trust that he is faithful. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you. You just come. As God speaks today, you respond. Lord, continue to overwhelm us with your faithfulness. We rejoice in you today. May we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.